0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection of Things, a podcast about technology and how it's changing our lives from an intersectional feminist perspective. I am one half of the pod, Marianella. And I'm the other half, Ruth. Hi Ruth, we are now recording, we are recording live from two undisclosed locations that are fairly new, so listeners, if you hear something different, it's because the rooms are different. How are you doing, Ruth? I am good, I'm good,
1: yes. It's been a weird week, as I've told, <laughs> I recently told you I, uh, Lost all my power in my house, and I'm really relieved to be back at home again after a week without power. Had to move out.
0: But here I am. I'm home again. Oh, it's a power struggle. <laughs> okay, but, you know, with uh, without further ado, and with no more, I cannot guarantee there won't be more puns. What are we talking about this week, Ruth? We're going to talk about new, in quote marks, celebrity. New celebrity. Meaning, like, why are we talking about new, in quote Marks, celebrity?
1: Well, for a start, I've been watching a lot of TikTok compilations on YouTube because I don't actually have TikTok, Same. but, you know, just watch the the best of. And that's, that's how I uh, manage without the app. Yeah. And I just, like, noticed a few themes and I've been reading about, like, who is being successful on TikTok? Like, what are we seeing coming out of it? And then, like, what is the celebrity culture that I'm consuming, that we're consuming during this pandemic time as we are coming out of it. But I have definitely been going to a lot of like YouTubers and online content creators for my entertainment and sadly actually listening to less podcasts and watching more mm-hmm. little videos of things. And it's just like, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we're seeing when we're watching these things.
0: Yeah, like the true grandmas of the internet, <laughs> we're here to talk about What's new with this TikTok thing? Also, I mean, I I, I consume some of the TikTok content on uh, Instagram through compilation Instagram accounts and even Twitter sometimes. Yesterday, I heard someone say Twitter is like TikTok for the olds. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So yeah, let's uh, talk about what we're seeing, what other people are seeing. And there's some like, listeners take this as like curious facts and observations about new celebrity and new celebrity culture is there anything new? Is it the same? Let's find out. Okay, where do you want to start?
1: Yeah, I guess. So I thought about starting with the cartoon face thing. Okay. So one of the things that I've been watching on TikToks, and I know like some of this is filters and some of it is makeup, but it's people who have a face that looks like a cartoon. So they're doing, I think of it as like DreamWorks face, where it's like, there's, like, really bigger eyes and sometimes, like, raising one eyebrow really high, like, higher than I thought you could raise your eyebrows when they're, like, comment- commenting <laughs> on something. Or, like, like really yep. over-enunciating everything so you can, like, see the exaggerated facial movements. And yep. sometimes I look at this and I'm just, like, I really can't tell, like, what is makeup? What is... People are just really good at facial contortions now. Like, this is a thing people are practicing. And, like, what is filter? And why like, people are trying to make themselves look like a cartoon. And I think it's more than just, you could say like, oh, it's about looking youthful or like anime is cool or all the rest of it. But it seems like trying to turn yourself into a more neutral generic face, a generic cartoon face. And I find something right. quite creepy and uncanny about that, but also kind of interesting That this is the thing that people are going for.
0: Have you seen that? Do you know what I mean? I think so. I mean, there's two things. One is the observation of like reality trying to emulate the non-reality. You know, you know, your your real face trying to become animated in in like you said, like anime style. So that's just an interesting observation. The other one is like what you mentioned about cartoon face. I think it's kind of like a well-known phenomenon in terms of why cartoons, children's cartoons or grown-up cartoons, why they're so successful. And there is like this theory and I don't know who came up with it or if it's just uh, an animation kind of theory that basically says that cartoons think of the yellow, smiley, happy face, right? Right it's non-specific enough that allows people to project themselves into the cartoon character like think also of like bugs bunny or like any other iconic mickey mouse because they are removed from personified it's not an actor for example it is not a human so you you basically cut like it allows for the suspension of disbelief and also allows you to either project yourself or receive certain messages without filtering, like, oh, this is a an awful person, right? Hunting rabbits. So yeah, there might be something around that in TikTok that's like, if you manage to make yourself as relatable as like Mickey Mouse, you are guaranteed to have a lot more resonance with your audience, which is kind of where the clicks come from, where the virality comes from. And also... The uncanniness, right? Sometimes things that are uncanny get the clicks. Like The internet also has this thing for like making weird viral. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's a strange... It's like the opposite version of uncanny. Instead of having something that's a robot or a doll that looks weirdly human, and the weirdness is that it's almost human, it's the other way around. It's the uncanny from a person trying to look like they are not a person. Whoa. <laughs> that is, it's. I don't know. Maybe don't that's know. the uncanny mountain, huh?
0: You heard it here first, people. And there's also what about the the whole thing about TikTok changing the shape of people's faces without consent? Is that because does that mean that the uncanny mountain is not always intentional?
1: Yeah, I mean there were a lot of stories about this back in July. That in some ways it's just like a a small thing, but it's what it means for people, which is that TikTok had put on an automatic beauty filter for when people were making videos. And it wasn't one that you could switch off. They just kind of switched it on so that it did subtle things that were like smoothing people's skin and like Mm. softening jawlines. And that was one thing that like a lot of people were bringing up was doing a deliberate sort of feminization according to TikTok of what that looked like without letting people opt out of it. And like they switched it off like relatively quickly after there were some news stories. It's interesting how often that is how technological change has to happen. And they didn't really explain anything about it, which they also never seem to do. They don't say, oh, yeah, we were trying this thing. It just disappears. Um, And now it's back to normal. But it was one of those things of going, you're logging on and creating a video of yourself. And instantly what you see in the mirror on your phone isn't what you look like. And you can't even change that. You're just shown a different version of yourself to create and share with other people, which is assuming that everyone wants to look the same and everyone wants to present themselves in the same way. And I also think that's quite creepy, like how much we get used to seeing a different version of ourselves. Like it's one thing to kind of flip through the filters and mess them around,
0: but it's another thing to have a mirror that isn't a true mirror. Right. Well, and what's interesting about all of these filters, I mean, I think it's kind of talked about a lot, is how they change your features towards a very specific standard. Obviously, some of it is rooted in like white supremacy, like beauty standards. But you found this thing about like the Instagram face. Yeah. Can you talk about like this? That was weird. I was like, because it's not just as simple as like whitening or caucasian people up. Like, it's a little bit weirder than that. Still white supremacy, but in a different way.
1: Yeah, there's an amazing article that we will definitely put in the show notes by Gia Tolentino called Instagram Face. Highly recommend reading the whole thing. It's quite a long, in-depth piece. And it's talking about, like, one, what is the trend of the face of celebrities on Instagram? What do they all look like? And it's talking about... People who are going in to have plastic surgery to alter their face to look like that Instagram ideal. But what's interesting is that y- yes, like it is white women who are the most influential on Instagram, but that the like Instagram face that it talked about isn't just a generic white woman face. It talks about like white women who can manufacture a look of rootless exoticism. And it's one that draws on different cultures facial structures and aesthetics, and tries to kind of look ambiguous, racially ambiguous, drawing on like, Mm. there's a long quote in the article from this makeup artist who talks about what they are asked to create for other people. And they talk about like Mm -hmm. South Asian eyebrows and African American lips and a Caucasian nose and, like, a Native American cheek structure. And it's, like, there's like drawing from what is seen as the most aesthetically pleasing part of different races and kind of culturally appropriating them in this, as it says, rootless exoticism. And it's an amazing piece. And this whole concept of, like, taking what the tech and the like say is the best, most successful feature and going, well, let's just try and have all of that. And people are literally going to plastic surgery... And asking for that kind of thing.
0: Right. And it's still, I mean, I think that the key thing, one of the reasons why we are saying earlier that it's still rooted in like white supremacy is because this uh, practice of appropriating and removing features just to like picking and choosing and then embedding them in like the white woman still. Yeah, right? White yeah. womanhood, it's, it's, it's a practice that's well known. Is appropriation.
1: It's, it's cultural appropriation at the level of your skin, At the level of
0: your facial structure. Wow. I mean, and you see it not only that in terms of like culturally appropriating bodies, you also see it in uh, TikTok dances. Because I don't know, uh, listeners, if you're familiar with this, but not that long ago, Black TikTok community went on strike. Because one of the bigger criticisms was that precisely all of these like bland, white TikTok influencers, TikTokers, I guess, were generating clicks and money with their dances, but the dances—it's like, literally just people like dancing, in, like hot people dancing in front of the camera, right? But one of the the bigger criticisms was that it was black people who were coming up with these dances, posting them, and then the white influencers would grab the dances, not credit, and then just you know become famous and viral based on. The, other people's work so what black tiktok did was like we are not going to put up dances and uh, and see how white folk deal with that and you should look at the compilations because they're so funny yeah but yeah so what ended up happening was like all of these people had no clue on how to dance and they just ended up looking ridiculous black tiktok proved a point without appropriation of their dances white tiktok would be nothing. So yeah. there you go.
1: It's literally drawing everything from their success is drawn from black TikTokers. And then people like Addison Rae end up on Jimmy Fallon doing dances that they didn't create, like didn't choreograph any of those dances that they are now famous for doing.
0: Yeah. And and the one thing that's interesting is that one would say like, well, how come, I don't know, this Addison Rae end up being Or getting all the clicks, but the black creator or creators who came up with the dance didn't. And of course, this is obviously, again, more white supremacy. But Ruth, you found something about the blandness. Like there is a trend about TikTok celebrities having this blandness aesthetic. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why does it have to be? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've been thinking about the fact that.
1: In a lot of these videos, whether it's like doing the same dances and doing them in a honestly like watered down, less energetic way or like lip syncing to songs, it's like very basic. It's very simple and it's not doing anything that's extraordinary or exciting. Like you're looking at people and like the most successful person, like the most successful video on TikTok is like Bella Porch like rocking her head from side to side. And I'm just like, like there's (laughs) really like nothing happening in this video. She's just like, she's doing a lip sync, but it's not exciting. And they're just like, the stuff that I would think would be like really cool, like the stuff that is coming up with like a brand new dance, or I don't know, doing like extraordinary tricks on a skateboard or something. Like that's not what's the most successful. It's not doing stuff that's new and fresh. It's like this kind of the most same and therefore, like, the stuff that people can project themselves onto, like stuff that everyone can like in a very like, ah oh, yeah, it's all right. Well, it's quite cute. She's kind of cute. And she's doing a fun lip sync. Yeah, it's okay. I like it. It's like, it's not extraordinary, but everyone can go,
0: yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's it's almost like a, a rehashing of the trope of the girl next door or cute boy next door that, you know, 80s and 90s high schooler american tv series would have you know like relatable attainable um a little bit of aspiration but not like or like aspirational but not so out of uh, reach that would just be like meh which is kind of one of the features of i mean social media in general but i guess tiktok in particular is that like relatability this uh they're just like you sort of I don't know tropes or characters, which I don't know. I I think it kind of yeah. I think that is kind of one of
1: the like new celebrity things. There's a difference from trying to be like what you were saying unobtainable. I think pure opinion here that in the past mm-hmm. the idea of celebrity was often like these people are so much better than you, more beautiful, talented, extraordinary, rich, and glamorous, and like something to dream of. And right. now it's more like the po- and, I, and I'm not saying this is bad because I actually think it's there's a lot of positive stuff about the fact that it is more obtainable for a lot of people to, like, get success through online creativity. You know, I love my YouTubers. But that can lead to this kind of toxic idea that these people who are just, like, your friends, they're just like you, they're making videos, they're in the house, they're really familiar, they talk like you, they look like you. It's this very different jump. Like, I don't think I'm friends with Nicole Kidman. I don't know, I just read an interview <laughs> with Nicole Kidman. You're not a- <laughs> I'm not a friend of Nicole Kidman. I read an interview oh. with her the other day. That's why she's in my mind. But right. like you know, we do jokingly say like friend of the pod about John Green. Like I feel more familiar even with people that I haven't met because I've just consumed so much of their online content.
0: Right? I mean I wonder if it's also like a little bit of a mix of less than less that they are like the celebrities are more like us and more that the distance between the perceived, like the perceived distance between you and the celebrity has shortened in some way. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're mentioning about, like having access or perceived access to these people's homes. Like, you know, they're blogging from their bedroom. They are, um, I don't know, showing you what they ate, which again, it's a perception of this intimate relationship. And and there is, there is actually a, a term for this. Can you talk a little bit Ruth about the parasocial relationships? What is a parasocial really? This is fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, you might come across the term parasocial quite a bit these days. It's basically the idea that you feel like you have an equal relationship with a celebrity, like that you feel really familiar and like your friends with them. And this is like really an increasingly common thing. And it, can end up being quite toxic, uh, kind of on both parts. You know, it can end up with people behaving like stalkers or it can end up with YouTube creators having really toxic relationships with their fans, sleeping with their fans at conferences. That has happened like so many times and not understanding either way around that
0: there's still a power dynamic. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very interesting feature because it almost allows a celebrity to to gain access to an audience in a different way. So one of the things, I mean, we're calling this new celebrity, but one of the things that isn't that new is that at the end of the day, just like with all celebrity phenomenon, you know, from the Hollywood of the 50s to TikTok of right now, everything <laughs> comes down to, uh, drumroll, capitalism and being at the service of, of capitalism, selling things, and what uh, you and I Ruth were talking about earlier is about like having ways or new ways to manufacture desire, manufacture the want for like products, brands, experiences, and through parasocial relationships, it it just kind of shortens this thing of yeah, the distance between you and and the celebrity. It's almost like it's different if you think your friend is recommending a product than Brad Pitt recommended a product, you know? So it's I don't know, it's quite interesting how monetization of this false relationship, or not false, because it's not, well, it is, it is not true. But how do you call something that's not real, but it's there? Simulation? (laughs) Yeah, the simulated relationship, you know, simulated friendship, where like the advice is not just advice, it's uh, shopping advice. What to buy, when to buy it, where to buy it from, how to look. How to think yeah so yeah i think that it's almost like
1: people think that this different way of having a relationship with online content creators influencers is going to protect them from like the toxic things of celebrity in the past you know like groupies like there are so many stories of like rock musicians sleeping with underage fans right I think that people feel like well that's that's like that like old power dynamic, and this new thing we have is like much more familiar and more understanding, and they they don't have that kind of like glamour power like separation thing of the past, and I think it turns out that people do have that same power separation it just like seems like it's very very different because of the like the way you're being addressed in the screen and like Actually, we can talk about this as well. They're like, "Hey guys, how you doing?" It's it's all sort of like as though you're really being talked to by that person,
0: right? Yeah, the, the simulation of um, intimacy, I guess. Yeah, you can you can call it that. I don't know. There there is a particular now that you mentioned. It, there is a particular there are tropes we're already seeing either tropes or trends on like when you look at YouTubers how they talk, the speed, the even the hey guys you know um or even what we do in the podcast is a hello and welcome to like that uh, there are a few podcasts i can name that also have the hello and welcome to but it's just you know like like with every media it's it creates its own language yeah and the youtube language of speaking fast the jump cut the hello everybody you know like kind of like sparking people's attention like you know your system is on high alert. somebody literally just say, "Just said to you like "Hello, everybody <laughs> you're like, "Oh shit, someone's talking to me I don't know it it's just it's fascinating to me,
1: yeah, I think what's interesting is when we start talking like that, like when do we switch into that persona and like when do we switch out of it? you know do we how much are we starting to actually change how we talk outside of making a podcast or?" anything else in our YouTuber voice? Or, you know, is that kind of changing the way people are talking in general? Do people talk in meetings like that? Does, do we open meetings at work mm-hmm. with like, hey,
0: everyone? <laughs> I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't yet. But yeah, maybe I should try it just Monday morning. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> people are just going to kick me out of the meeting. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating. And I think it's a little bit inevitable to have. I mean, if we're consuming TikTok, Instagram, you know, Twitter, YouTube for hours on end every day, I think it's almost inevitable that some of those aesthetic tropes uh, won't end up being emulated or like rubbing off on us, right? Like everyone has an Instagram account, has posted a selfie. Most people, vast majority. The selfie also has its own aesthetic, you know, angles and lighting and even captions like thirst straps and <laughs> things like that. It has its own language. So it's it's not all to say that, oh, if you do this, it's terrible. But it's just kind of, I don't know, just being a little bit curious and observing where we're getting our, yeah, our language from. Not just literally language we speak, but the visual language, the performative language you can see it right there. Yeah. No, you can see people sometimes turning their own life into a brand, but not, not quite, but almost emulating, again, emulating these ways of talking, emulating the, hey guys, so I just moved and um, I am unpacking. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, things like that, not that I've done it or anyone else, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Is the uh, aesthetic flattening of
0: our lives. What is Aesthetic Flattening?
1: Yeah, I came across this. It was in an academic piece and I just felt like it applied to so much other stuff. It's talking, so it was a piece called Aesthetic Flattening um, by two writers, Jazz Troy and Cara Diem. I apologize if I've said your names wrong. I couldn't find anywhere to say them pronunciation guides. And it was about how there's something kind of, they use the phrase like vulgar about how we've been through the pandemic experiencing everything in our lives in a flat screen, like professional meetings, right. birthdays, funerals, parties, like everything looks the same. Everything is divided up into these two-dimensional grids. And that like teaching is just the same as going to a funeral. And how this, how is this basically like affecting the way we behave when, and do we feel like, Upset or a little bit like unsettled by experiencing everything in that same way. And they were talking about the screen itself. And then I was thinking about, well, how does that also fit in with how we behave when we're on the screen? And like with seeing and consuming everything, like I said, like whether we're at meetings or whether we're watching YouTube videos in a similar format, we're seeing people who all look really similar. So I feel like there's the l- lot of literal flattening of everything being on a screen but also a flattening of like vibrancy like everything sort of like blends together into a kind of bland concoction of sameness or is that just the kind of horror of the pandemic and that's how everything feels right now like maybe I will reflect on this in a year's time and that won't feel true it's just because of the experience we've been having it's like feels like we're in a time loop or whatever like people have made all of those metaphors and there feels like this flattening of our aesthetics across the board
0: yeah i mean the thing that you mentioned about um everything happening through zoom or google hangouts or meet or whatever i don't know i've been coming across articles about uh what is it like zoom fatigue and, and stuff like that and people being like it is not our, our brains are not designed for the, the narcissist narcissus effect. you know, like the, the guy who stared at himself in, not in the mirror, but like in a river or something, and then I don't know drowned. Anyways, so yeah, with the whole effect of like while you're in a meeting, and then you have the little square or the big square with your own face there, and you're hyper aware not only of what other people's faces are doing, but what your own face is doing. And how you come across? Um, I do know people at work who say like they get like the frown or the you know their face gets tired. I'm like wow, but it's a true thing, and it's it's uh, and I can attest to this. Like I've had days of like two one hour and a half meetings, and I feel so drained after that. And not just because I'm staring at my little square, but in general, it's just this. It's a different dynamic, and yeah, it's kind of weird when everything you know a party. And at work meeting, it's all through the same, even the same room, same everything. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it, you know what I was saying right at the start about filters and how you get this kind of fake image of yourself looking back. But like the Zoom call is the same. It's a, it is a fake version of yourself, like whether the camera is like slightly fish eyed or like how you're flipped or also the fact that you're looking at yourself in concentration all the time and start to think that, like, frowny face is your default face. that That's we're spending just this, like, weird time looking at a version of ourselves that isn't the same as the one when we just look into a mirror when you get up in the morning.
0: I'm not a cat. Did you see that video of, like, the lawyer who <laughs> went into a a meeting or, like, a court session and, and whoever was using his computer... Had left zoom with a cat cat filter, and he couldn't turn it off it was it was just a tiny cat just being like, Judge, I'm not a cat, I swear <laughs> anyways, pandemic stories I don't know there's a lot of curious things, yeah, the whole aesthetic flattening again shouldn't surprise us that you know if Instagram is where we get entertainment and also post pictures of your kids and dogs, everything starts looking the same. You know, you have access to the same squares, the same filters. Probably not the same camera, but close. With all of those new phones with awesome, awesome cameras, and I don't know, it's uh, it's really hard to be isolated, no matter even even during the pandemic. And we do repeat the things that we see to some extent. So,
1: I mean, do you think that's really going to change in the next year? Do you think we're going to see a backlash to all of this?
0: I think so. I would hope so. I mean, I'm already seeing. Uh, we talked a little bit, probably about this in uh, the previous episode. In like fashion, I've been noticing a lot more like volume, texture, playfulness. Maybe pants will be back uh, now that people will not only be, you know, waist up under screens. I I think I think so. There's there's some craving I think for variety and if everything has been the same for the last year and a half two years then I mean I think it's only logical that yeah we go that a different way I don't know what do you think
1: yeah I mean maybe part of it is just people have had to record things in their homes and also have had less creative imagination being stuck inside and going through the same thing all the time and so some of the things where we're like, I want to see something like extraordinary. I want to see something that blows my mind is people just haven't been able to create that stuff. So maybe next year's TikTok will not be bland white dancing.
0: I mean, that's, that's a really high bar to cross because, you know, bland white dancing is, uh, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think there there's. There's going to be some hunger for something else. And not only because of the sameness of screens, but also because we had... It's not that we've been, quote-unquote, bored at home. Is that we've been collectively in a state of distress and worry and panic and this constant, like, doom and gloom, right? With, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and like, oh, never mind, it was not the end of the tunnel, (laughs) There's variants, but hey, there's vaccines, but hey, there's this thing. So, yeah, it would be interesting uh, to see how, if we ever get to the end of the tunnel, how uh, we bounce back from that. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're all feeling a little bit of that burnout, including TikTok influencers are feeling the burnout.
1: Yeah, because when you have to keep on making new content all the time to stay relevant, and it just it's not just like, oh, you have to make you know, a YouTube video once a week, for a lot of people, it's like, you have to make new content every single day, all the time. And from the things that I've read from a lot of interviews, there's like a real self-awareness from people who are being really successful of that precarity of fame and that this is not going to last. It's not saying like, okay, I'm going to bake a career on the back of it. It's like, okay, I need to get as much as I can out of this whilst I'm relevant and interesting because people will just go after the new thing as soon as possible. And at the same time, it's like not being able to experiment because people have come to expect the same thing from you. And if you try and deviate from that too much, if you come up with something new, then people will like lose interest in you. And there's a lot of anxiety that comes with trying to both be like, interesting and fresh, and also exactly what people
0: expect from you all the time. Yeah. It's like, can you have a career on TikTok or not? It's, it's the whole issue of the 50s, 15 seconds of fame. Like it's so fleeting. It's uh, especially the way the TikTok algorithm works. It's not even you going viral. It's just this one specific thing you did that went viral. So you want to replicate it and replicate it and, re- and hang on to that as a career or a job. It's just, I don't know. I don't think it's attainable. But some people really uh...
1: are making a lot of money from it. True. Like, it's crazy money. Like, people who are living in these, like, influencer houses. Like, TikTokers all, like, move in together and have a house with, like they're like, frat houses. But for people making TikTok videos... And there are like PR agencies representing them who own those houses who are like, right, you all move in here and like, you'll make loads of money and then they'll pay you a cut of it. There is a machine that like gets into gear on this stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, for all of this, like parasocial relationships of like you and your uh, simulated friend who's blogging from their bedroom, there's agents behind them. There is like an entire industry built around influencers and, and, and you know, digital marketing people, because uh, th- that, that's literally what influencers are, just digital marketers, right? There's even, like, oil influencers. People sell oil? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was reading about how uh, the oil industry is getting uh, Instagram influencers to endorse it, you know, taking selfies in front of oil pumps in Aesthetically pleasing gas <laughs> stations. <laughs> Apparently that's a what? thing now. And yeah, there's some... So again, I'll put something on the show notes, a really interesting read on this. But it was just like, this whole thing about how the oil industry is just like, you know, it's not exactly the most loved thing at the moment with climate change Is real people. And they're trying to sort of rebrand themselves for like a modern millennial who cares about the environment,
0: whatever, they'll come up with. Gen Z. Millennials are now geriatric.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I am way past it. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was just like, this kind of the inevitability of propaganda, that whatever is successful, like, whichever people are doing really well, like, the classic industries will still be there. You know, whatever, Gen Z... Making TikTok or people taking photographs on Instagram, and then like the oil industry that is like this monolith of power, like old money and power, is just saying, "Oh well, we've got some money. If you want to make loads of money doing this, like we've got it."
0: Yeah. Well, and and like we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's all in the service of of capitalism and making profit, right? Like one of the other trends that i've been seeing i mean we've all been seeing it's like we are basically in an age of collapse collaborations you know you see like big stars like like travis scott or like bts like shout out to the bts army k-pop people and um you know they have deals with mcdonald's for example and, and you're like okay they're, they're, what i mean again this is not the first time remember like michael jackson i mean i was way too young for this, but I think Michael Jackson and the Pepsi commercial. But I don't know. It's, it's again, more and more just having this blend and crossover. And I think it also talks about that aesthetic flattening, right? Like everything is the same. It's like, if Instagram has Travis Scott, then McDonald's will also have Instagram. And then remember on Twitter, all of these brands that were being cheeky before, like Wendy's being kind of uh tongue-in-cheek nasty to burger king and i don't know it just it's this marketing becomes entertainment becomes marketing and at the end it's just about selling burgers like uh, it's uh
1: it actually makes me think about like the mcu because i was think i always think about this,
0: this oh god
1: well it's just this is quite a jump from celebrity apologies but the fact that so much of the media that we have is just like a mashup of intellectual properties it's like disney owns everything and so we're going to have these films that just like connect all of the different marvel things together like getting more and more like smooshed that's the technical word and then that like new looney tunes film and that was like having oh yeah weird references to a clockwork orange or whatever it's just like we're watching things being made by companies that own so many different things that they're just kind of shoving all of the properties that they own into a film, but I kind of am then like going out and saying it's a similar thing that what you're just talking about with like the brand collaborations and stuff. It's like everything is just trying to go like we'll put all the things that you like into one place and then you'll like it more, right, so it's a bit tasteless and that is another kind of like the flattening, I think.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned tasteless because I don't know. I'm not, you had that uh, when you were growing up, but when, when I was growing up, there was like, if you went to like the uh, street markets or Chinatowns or, and you would buy like off-brand toys, sometimes you would find like Pokemon, like, like for example, a lunchbox of Pokemon that also had like Superman in it. And it was like the weirdest thing. You're like, all right, it's... Uh, you could tell, like, it was either looked down upon and it was not Pokemon or Superman. It was like super, super He-Man or something. You know, like it, it It was just slightly off brand, but it was this low brow, at least the way the mainstream perceived it, counterfeiting and mashup of, like, like you said, tasteless. Like it was just like, oh, people don't know that you don't mix adidas and nike right like you're just uh but then you would go to these places and you see like i don't know an athletic jacket with all the logos of all the things and you're like oh you know that would be again a sign of not knowing the lingo of of class and and what symbols to wear with what and now you have like dior i don't know collaborating with air jordan to have like an air jordan or an air Dior and selling a shoe for like thousands of dollars like literally a basketball shoe for like thousands I think I don't know that particular thing that I'm thinking about the resale cuz now there's a resale market $30,000 $35,000 for a pair of shoes like and just because it says Air Dior right like again a mashup things that you would look down upon you know 20 30 years ago for just being like you do not mix Chanel with, I don't know, Gucci are like, well, what happened? I think Gucci and Balenciaga, you don't mix them. And then next thing you know, they are having a collab and they're selling the thing under terms for thousands and thousands and thousands. So, yeah, it's all this mashup. And it's exactly what you say. You know, all of these brands are owned by the same people, same things, same groups. So, why not mix and match and profit? Anyways, that was my. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. That was my rant on collapse yeah i don't know i think there's one last thing that i wanted to say and there's maybe there's more but the other thing that i've been noticing in terms of everything looking the same and is this new type of uh celebrity influencer which is like the expert i don't know if you've seen them but for example i'm thinking all of these like engineers that are famous on youtube millions of followers and subscribers but they're like building you know i work for like the military, right? So they have all of this expert know-how and they create I know, a machine that shoots baseballs off the park all the time or like different engineers. They're like, Oh, with this robot that I created, you will never be able to miss a basketball shot. And then you're like, okay, they, they continue being in this like approachable mode. They're like the genius of like, think Mythbusters, you know, they're like the quote-unquote, genius of the internet, like, they are applying their expertise. And the second you start looking more into it, you're like, all of these people are, at least for where I see it, kind of wealthy. Like, there is this thing of, like, who gets to be a professional, I don't know, YouTuber or influencer? It's like, you see, like, their basements are full of, like, super expensive machinery. Like, their hobbies, quote-unquote, are more expensive than many people's jobs, even, you know? So yeah, I've seen it in like with doctors as well. There's like YouTube, like medical YouTube is huge, which shouldn't surprise us with all the supplements and diets and stuff. There's also like the doctor or the medical doctor, YouTube celebrities, airplane pilots, like any any profession that was deemed or is deemed like super like status has its own celebrities. And, uh, but yeah, a lot of them, I think, One thing that I do find they have in common is they have certain amount of wealth to produce content. So this whole approachability, it's a little bit BS. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen it, but
1: Yeah. I mean I love like home renovation videos and like DIY stuff. And I had to give up watching one particular YouTuber because it was the bit where she was using a mirror cutter and Was like right, so you just use this tool and like pulled out like the biggest thing I've ever seen. It was just like in the big shed with all of your power tools. I know who owns a mirror cutter. Like this is a massively expensive tool, and I was like, well, I I can't, I can't do your DIYs. I need something that actually assumes like I've got a drill. Uh, I'm very excited. I also have a Dremel tool. This is this is really cool, and those are my power tools. Thank you very much. I have two. Yes.
0: How to make a ring. DIY. First, go to your own mine and <laughs> mine this diamond. Yeah, oh, it's, uh kind of feels like that sometimes. I don't know. I think we're nearing the end of, of the episode. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on? I mean, there's a lot, but anything you want to address, Ruth?
1: I think that, like, perhaps the like the one thing that we haven't, we've touched on it, but we haven't, like, really delved into it much is, like, how much of this is about people's individual choice to perform in certain ways and how much of it is just, like, the algorithm that each platform has that, like, brings certain things up and doesn't allow us to see the really extraordinary and exciting things that people are doing. Like, that it just kind of gives us the same things that have been successful in the same way that people copy stuff they see that's successful. Like, the algorithm shows you the same stuff so we are being quite funneled in specific ways so i think like i don't want to just say like everything is really similar i think we're also not allowed to see the things that might be exciting
0: us true and also you know in in terms of playing to the algorithm that's that old thing of like doesn't matter if it's good or bad if it generates a reaction it will generate clicks so um, that's another part of that, right? Is like, you might have never have heard of this podcast, but if we were a lot more like sensational and like you wouldn't believe what Kanye West did, some people would just end up, I don't know, commenting like, oh, you suck or I love you guys. Doesn't matter what kind of reaction it, the algorithm sees, as, sees that as an interaction and pushes it up. So it also, like you said, like, Uh, content creators end up playing to the algorithm you can see that speaking of aesthetics also like in youtube the thumbnails everybody has like this weird expression like there's always like this i don't know how to like i'm mimicking it for ruth here but um yeah there's always this like over the top there is a look to thumbnails so it's it's just fascinating just like doesn't matter whether you're putting videos on like i don't know Climate change, flying a plane, or whatever. You just have this weird face on your thumbnail.
1: Which comes back to like, the cartoon uh, I mean, phase. we could go on. Yeah. It's, uh, we're, yeah. we're all, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: in one way or another, we're all uh, playing the game that these uh, different platforms have given us. We have to kind of dance yeah. to their tune.
0: Yeah. That being said, please like and subscribe, <laughs> <laughs> share this podcast with everyone you know, right. give us a review on iTunes, Yeah, etc, etc, etc. Please, we love you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think we're nearing the end of this episode. And of times, apparently, we looked at the news. Is there anything you would like to take with you, Ruth, around this whole new celebrity stuff? I think
1: that I'm still thinking about and want to think more about that kind of question about what is uncanny and what isn't. And I think we should maybe talk about that another time a bit more. But like, what kind of faces make us feel comfortable and where. But yeah, perhaps that's like, t- I'm just like picking that thought back up again, where like how the familiar can feel really comforting. And then there's a point at which like it's too familiar and it's too samey. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes discomforting. And then you notice it. And then we're having this conversation. So it does feel to me like there's something there that's like mirroring the concept of the uncanny, but is kind of flipping it the other way around. But I definitely
0: want to think some more huh. about that. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What are you taking away? I mean, there are a few things that you mentioned that, I don't know, definitely will keep thinking about. One of them is that whole, the quote about faces and the rootless exoticism. I'm like kind of fascinated by the way power and whiteness perpetuates itself and there was i, I, I wish i remember the the name of the paper that i read many years ago in school about like how whiteness has to transform itself to retain power and so and it just changes basically changes shape right if you try to stay the same then you know it becomes an easily identifiable target so the way you see that in, in aesthetics, at least in, in TikTok and stuff, is just having this thing of like instead of having the you know the Aryan blonde, which also exists, you know, you know, that's super white supremacist kind of aesthetic, then there's also the 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 other thing of of grabbing, picking and choosing features, but still everything being at the service of of the Kim Kardashians of the world. You know, like yeah. So I'm I'm quite fascinated by again that morphing that adapting of uh features to to uh, retain at least here the aesthetic power. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll be thinking about that. And also obviously I think this episode is sponsored by aesthetic flattening, you know, the everything is the sameness. I'm also um most looking forward to seeing how after the tunnel how things look. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Thank you for lending us your ears for this uh short amount of time. Ruth, if people want to read more about everything we talked about, where can they do so? They can find our website at theintersectionofthings.com. Cool. And if they're on Twitter, where can they find us? At Things Intersect. And where can they find you and your writing and your takes?
1: I'm on Twitter at Nessient, which is
0: N-E-S-I-E-N-T. Cool, cool, cool. Music is by David Mark Hucklesby, And this episode has been produced by both of us. Yeah. Anything else?
1: If you ever go to our website and check it out, we have tons of cool stuff in terms of resources from books that we've read and footnotes for all of our past episodes. If you want to read more about any of the topics we've done, I uh, try and be pretty thorough about further reading. So you can dive into any of the topics on our website. Absolutely. I recommend it.
0: Okay, so this has been another episode of The Intersection of Things. Thank you very much, Ruth. Thank you for uh, spending your non-Sunday <laughs> recording. Monday, yeah. Monday, yeah. You too. Thank you. Always a delight. All right. Bye. Bye.